Welcome to Improv Interviews. Today I have a special guest across the pond, a Mr. Nathan Keats. Nathan has been an improviser since 2006. He's also been working with young persons with autism since 2007. Currently, Nathan is a PhD student at Tizard Center, School of Social Policy, Sociology, and Social Research, and he's doing his research on improv comedy with autistic adults. He's a funny chap, and I think you're going to enjoy him. So here we go. Hello, Nathan. Hello. <laughs> Uh, thank you. What a lovely introduction. Well, lovely to hear you today. And we've we've met uh, via Facebook. And uh, tell me a bit more about you. A bit more about me? Yes, uh, where you grew up, uh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, well, I, I uh, grew up in Hampshire, uh, which is... Uh, lovely. Um, so I spent some years in uh, Basingstoke in uh, Eastleigh, Southampton. Um, uh, a wonderful little bit is that when I went to university first time around, uh, every time I went home, my mum was in a different place, so I swear she was trying to lose me. Uh. <sighs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, so that's, that's where I grew up. That's, uh, um, and I was, I, I, the, the other thing, I guess, uh, that comes, comes with this is uh, why, why get into improv and why I... When I found improv, it essentially connected to my whole entire life before that. So that's why I kept doing it. Uh, so this, this links into where I grew up because uh, all these moments in my childhood, essentially, I was uh, yes-anding people that were attempting to bully me. I was doing little solo uh, uh, sketches in, inside um, the, the stock room in, in, my, in my first job. Now, all these sorts of uh, quite uh, wonderful things all connected me to improv. So uh, that's that's kind of uh, why, why I still do it. Now, a lot of improvisers... I'm sorry. <laughs> um, a lot of improvisers are kind of odd ducks. Could that be a description, or were you just a plain, normal, great little good boy? <laughs> I, think, uh, I think people would say I was very weird. Um, I'm, I think one of the nicknames I got as a child was... Um, uh, King Random or something similar to that because uh, that's quite weird. That's quite weird. <laughs> so you've been studying improv for a while, um, and have you had some master teachers who really affected you um, that you could name? Um, yes, yeah. Um, in in London, we have a, a company called Imprology with Remy Bertram, and his his approach back then uh, was wonderful, but it also was outside of what other people were teaching. Uh, he would he would call it avant-garde, tree-hugging improv. Um, and that really worked uh, for me. And one of the main points um, that came out of uh, other improvisers watching a show we, we were doing uh, back then was that uh, we would just, no, no one would feel the need to come up and do that funny little thing that w wasn't necessarily part of the scene. So we're very much ensemble based, very much part of uh, creating something uh, together. And that really stuck with me. And I, I love the guy. And I think uh, what he was doing then was, was really useful, really um, a great method into improvising. Um, uh, I think he does something quite, uh, quite different nowadays, but uh, you know, uh, uh, that's, that's called progress. <laughs> 
So I noticed that you actually spent, was it five weeks at I.O. West in California? Yes, 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 that was wonderful. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. Every time I reflect on that, it, it just brings up happy memories. Um, I remember on the, when I had to go home, I was so, it was so difficult to go home. I just didn't want to leave at all. It was quite, a, a, it was definitely a joyful life. Uh, doing that, and it's wonderful training, obviously, as well. Um, yeah, I.O. West, it's gone now, isn't it, unfortunately? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I was very fortunate with the teachers I got there. Um, it was all the, uh, it's got quite a lot of um, the well-known names, you know. I had David Wazowski, I had Craig Kowski, um, I had Eric Honeycutt, um, uh, Dave Hill, uh, Dave Hill was an amazing uh, teacher and a uh, wonderful improviser, um, and I was at Brandon Sonberger, who is uh, who, who for me was bringing all sorts of the elements that you can find in Los Angeles together uh, in in uh, in Io. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. I've studied with Dave Rosowski and he's just marvelous. He really put a different twist, a different spin on how I looked at improv before. So. Mm. Had you done acting as well, or strictly? Well, improv is acting, so. Yes, yes, as Rosowski says, yes. Um, uh, yeah, uh, when I was five, I'm, I'm a very stubborn human being, so when I was five, I decided I was going to be an actor or an inventor, um, and uh, someone once told me, uh, cross combination here, uh, that, that, that improv is exactly those two things. <laughs> That's exactly. quite funny. Exactly. And are you sp yeah. are you a fan of Viola Spolins or Keith Johnstone or do you? Um, I think it's best to mix and merge and actually bring in everything. So mm -hmm. I also teach clown and clown can come into improv as well as um, anything really. Uh, everything everything needs to be put into it. I think uh, one perspective is is limiting in some way. Uh, yes, especially as uh, as how you improvise is unique to yourself anyway. So I'd, I'd definitely um, say bring in all sorts um, into what you're doing. And, and I, I certainly do that. I, um, I think, I don't know if you know um, Action Theatre? Yes, uh-huh. Um, so I've done, I've worked with some teachers that are, that are connected to that. At least I haven't actually worked with um, Zephyr herself. Um, but even some of that can come into it, you know. So, have you done theatre of the oppressed at all? Yes, yes. If it's improvised, I've, I've tried it. <laughs> yeah, so I've done I've done that uh, many years ago in, in Cardiff. When I was in Cardiff, I did some, some of that and uh, even had a practice group that was trying to progress and build something together to go forward with. Yeah. Um, but, you know, many, everyone's busy, everyone has lots of things that they wish to do, and I certainly do that. Well, I, th I think, you know, some of the early improvisers here in the States were really socially conscious people and were the kind of people who were at demonstrations, perhaps, um, and were seeking truth for the rest of the people and satirizing what was going on in the current situations. Um, so I wanted to ask you about your teaching. Have you, been, have you been teaching for a while, and what kind of classes are you teaching? Um, yeah, so as I say, I, I, do, uh, I, I teach clown. I, I, teach, uh, I teach in various places in the UK, 
and I I cover cover the basics. I, I my my uh, level two is essentially an acting class, and then level three uh, is a uh, more is a um, my version of game uh, game scene, and then I do look at Harold. Um, but then it's also about what are you creating. Um, it's, it's, it's what, what do you wish to do? How do you wish to go about what you're putting on stage? Because um, it's theatre, so we're just improvising theatre, we're creating theatre. It could be comedic, it could be dramatic, it could be whatever you wish it to be. Um, so it, I, I, my teaching essentially stays in what I would suggest is just the small box of improv comedy. Uh, but personally, uh, I explore uh, outside of that. Um, so I'm very interested in things like uh, Buto, um, uh, playback, comedic latte, fools, um, and all sorts, all sorts. Uh, uh, one of the one of the things I'm I'm building at the moment is uh, a, a session on trance-based improv without masks. Uh, I stumbled on on it once a couple of years ago, uh, and the, the, the how the students were feeding back to me. It, it seemed like their experience was that they entered a state of trance and altered a state of consciousness. Uh, and I found that really fascinating, so I wanted to try and purposefully do it. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's, on the, that's in the works, try and build a class uh, where we're looking at trance-based improv, um, which is um, which connects to uh, Luzel, uh, if I pronounce the name correctly, sorry if I don't. Um, he, in the Global Improvisation Initiative conference, uh, or symposium actually, a uh, few months back, he was speaking about uh, three ways that three ways of improvisation, and one one of them is is this trance-based element, is uh, accessing the unconscious. Uh, another one is social emergence, uh, which is based in Sawyer. Um, uh, um, so I'm, I'm very interested in that, and it links. Obviously, that links to the research side of things, um, but it's, it's it's great, and I think you can uh, get to different places when when you can let yourself explore these these other capacities. Um, yeah, fantastic, fantastic, and interesting. Uh, so, tell me about how you got involved with autism. So in 2007, um, I was going to go and do uh, the usual usual thing that that person of that age <laughs> wants to do is, is go and go to America. So I was going to go to a summer camp uh, and teach uh, or uh, be, a, be some sort of health fair with with the, the, the young campers. And my friend had already done it the year before. Uh, so I, I had an email come through that said, do I want to go to XYZ camp? And I looked into it, I thought, well, maybe not that one. And then about uh, a month later, I think it was, I hadn't heard anything. And my friend told me that that's not the normal thing. Normally you have to go onto the website. And when I went onto the website, it was um, the, the, the camp that I'd been assigned. I didn't have a choice. I was assigned. I was a camp for autistic kids. Um, uh, so I, was, I thought, oh, oh gosh, because uh, at the point I knew uh, nothing about autism. Um, and it happened to be the same camp that my friend was, had gone to and was going to that year. So I emailed and said, well, uh, I don't know much about 
autism, but uh, what would make me feel comfortable is if I can teach improv and comedy there. <laughs> um, uh, and I packed uh, everything to, uh, I prepared and packed everything to, to do that. But the odd thing is I remember sitting on the, on the grass in the sunny weather in the middle of this camp with the camp director calling out names and telling you what their role was. And I, I remember sitting there not knowing if I was going to teach improv there or not. But I also had everything with me. So that's a weird memory contradiction that I, I'm always, always fascinated with. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's my first experience of autism. And I, I talked improv to them in 2007. Uh, and after that experience, coming back, I just wanted to do more of it. It was wonderful. And the best thing uh, about that is at the uh, end of the, the camp, the camp director pulled me into the office and said, uh, we risked letting you do that. But we loved it, and we want you back next year. So that, that's a great compliment. And and did you return? Unfortunately, I couldn't. However, um, I, it's just it's just wonderful, and it it changed uh, what I was doing with my life. Really, and I, uh, you know, I would be doing what I'm doing now if I didn't have that experience. You know, it was glorious. I just yearned for more of it. So, where was it in the states? Um, it was. Uh, Pennsylvania. Lovely. Um, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it was Round Lake Camp. I'm sure it still exists. Wow. And had you been doing improv for very long when you when you be, be uh, worked with the children? Um, so uh, the way I got into doing improv was at university, part of my undergrad, uh, and because I was doing it that way, I had to, uh, I had to teach, I had to uh, perform, I had to do everything. Uh, all at once. So I had all, I had a, a year experience of teaching and performing improv uh, in in a formalized capacity of what we know it to be. Obviously, uh, as we all have been, we improvise our life, and I'd certainly been uh, improvising uh, even scenes uh, before that a year. Um, but you know, the official stamp of when things happen. Uh, I formally was doing improv for like, uh, just a year before that. Well, as you know, we have a common interest because I work with children on the spectrum with other disorders, of course. And I'm wondering, what kind, do you remember the games that you played with them back then? I can remember the ones that uh, uh, were a uh, poignant memory because it had an, uh, had an impact, had something, had a response. So uh, there's one game, which is just a simple game of sound ball that... The, the young the, the young artistic kids loved it and we played it for a very long time <laughs> it, was just, uh, <laughs> it was just a simple game uh, that they really really uh, got into um, and, and uh, yeah it's, it's those, those like nice experiences where where you just get a nice response so I, I remember playing that um, I had a bag of costumes and, and props and such uh, so I had uh, a rubber chicken, obviously, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, and that has uh, has um, had some experiences now. <laughs> uh, still got it now. Um, I I as well. <laughs> uh, there was also a, a, a talent show, and uh, what was fun is that uh, me being me and uh, coming from improv, uh, uh, they wanted to just. Uh, do a sketch they're going to uh, devise the sketch that they did that for the talent show 
Um, things aren't going to go right, so they're going to improvise. They have, they're going to have to improvise anyway. <laughs> but the, the, the premise, the whole, whole um, the point of the sketch was uh, getting through air, airport security um, with a person in a suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I can't remember my jazz about what they did, but that's, I just remember that because of the, uh, uh, the things that come out of people yeah. or out of suitcases. I love it. I love it. Um, our, our group loves a game we call machine where each child is a different part of the machine making a sound and a movement. I don't know if you know that one, but, um, <laughs> they just love it. They get to spin and do whatever they want, make whatever sound they want. And, um, it's a lovely experience. So now are you currently working with autistic youth or adults? So my research itself is going to be working with adults. Uh, so, um, that's, that will be coming up so, uh, as it's a PhD. I start with what research has been done. Then I uh, propose what needs to be done in order to forward the research um, and uh, find what uh, impact that can have and, and do uh, work through uh, exactly what needs to happen. Um, so I, I will be doing that. At, um, and as it's research, I, I won't actually be teaching it. I'd have to. I have to get someone else and do the uh, fidelity testing on on the teaching itself, mm-hmm. as well as everything else. Um, uh, so that's that's coming up eventually. That's the next next stage of what I'm working on. Because I've just finished uh, looking at what has been. Now I need to go forward to what will be. Well, I've, I've really appreciated all the research that you've shared with me and others on different groups. Um, it's really lovely, everything that you've done so far. I, I really can't wait. When do you project this project uh, being finished? Um, so in two years' time, it would, it would be written up, hopefully, and then I can disseminate it uh, in as many ways as possible, uh, and uh, hopefully whatever comes from the research, whatever it says, will will have a meaningful impact uh, on what's been done, what, what, what can be done. Right. It's, it's such important work. It's, it's just, they're wonderful human beings and differently abled is all that's just slightly different, but their imaginations and sense of humor is beautiful, I think. Um, exactly. They, that is the key, that's the key point. Because obviously, or maybe people don't know, but the diagnostic criteria suggests that autistic people do not have imaginations and cannot play, you know, the key point of uh, yeah, the ADOS, the uh, Autism Observation uh, Diagnostic Schedule. Um, uh, they, they are looking at kids playing, <laughs> and, and if, that, if, there's a, uh, if there is a difference in the, the play style, then you're more likely to get a diagnosis of autism. Um, and that's kind of a shame, isn't it, really? You think about it, because you're suggesting that these people uh, cannot imagine and cannot play, whereas, as you say, that's clearly not true um, at all. Not at all. And they they really exemplify thinking outside of the box, I think. You know, I mean, going through school and, you know, being socialized in Western cultures, a lot of us... T- tend to think certain ways. And that's what improv does. It expands our awareness and consciousness, I think. Um, and the socialization is so important as well with other people. Mm. Yes, there's, there's, there are pa- 
there is a paper that suggests that um, uh, their parents would rather have their kids, autistic kids, do improv over the scripted theatre due to uh, the life is improvised. So you need to be able to uh, uh, have that repartee uh, and go back and forth and uh, be able to uh, converse, I suppose. Um, but also that's also very normative in thinking, isn't it? Because we, we want to accept, uh, improv is about accepting, so we should just accept uh, the autistic people. Uh, as you say, uh, you can get wonderful out-of-the-box out thinking. Um, and if we accept this out-of-the-box thinking in everyday life, you know, it's, it's Milton's uh, double empathy theory, right? Neurotypical people uh, do not empathize with autistic people and autistic, autistic people uh, uh, apparently do not empathize uh, back. Um, so it's, 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 if we can break that and go, well, let's use improv as a tool for complete acceptance, then we're, we're stepping in a better direction, I think. Absolutely. Now, in, in our country, the um, in once children reach age 18, there's not many services available. Um, is that true in Britain as well? Or what's your experience yes, of... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, completely. It's, it can get very tough for people. Um, I think that, that is probably worldwide, really. Uh, it's everything focused on, on kids. Even as I spoke earlier, the diagnostic criteria is focused on kids. Let's watch kids play. Well, if you're an adult and the clinician has to diagnose you or is looking to diagnose you and they want you to they want to watch you play that that's going to be a little awkward and there's i literally sat a couple of rows behind in a in a conference about uh, autism a few months back and uh, one lady was talking about her how patronizing her diagnosis was mm -hmm. um, and it's really really bad if everything's focused on on kids which is uh, one reason why I want to focus on adults with my research. That's wonderful. It's so so important. So, and and then there's the parents as well. Without resources, often they uh, young adults have to still live at home. There's no place. You know, it's hard. Now, some uh, some of the kids we've worked with actually have been able to get jobs, driver's license, and and uh, the social skills they developed help them develop enough to be working. And uh, that's a fantastic thing to hear. Yes, well, yes, exactly. It's, it's what can what can we do? What can the government do to help people achieve what they need to be achieving in life? You know, everyone wants to succeed in life, including autistic people. Uh, they have goals, as just as anyone else. You know, it's how how different. Uh, new typical people are to autistic people and how similar they are you know we got we got to acknowledge the similarity piece like uh, autistic people are still people now when we use the word autistic autism it's really not just one thing that they have I mean just the word autism how would you define that and what other comorbid things do you find with people who have that diagnosis um, well, autism is essentially a neurodevelopmental condition, um, uh, and people, uh, autistic people, can uh, feel that it's a disorder or can feel like it's not a disorder. It depends, right? As uh, Ross Black, uh, Ross Blackburn, who 
can give a presentation, but will not be able to take questions afterwards because that's just who she is. She can't she can't cope with uh, the the questioning, but she can happily and easily um, give the presentation. So for her, she finds autism to be a disorder, but uh, a lot of the autism advocacy uh, that exists all around the world uh, are promoting uh, acceptance, promoting condition over disorder. Uh, but yeah. It's, it's, there's no black and white with anything in, in, in the world, is there? So it's okay just acknowledging that people uh, need need this sort of distinction. Um, and the comorbidity, um, yeah, there's, it's quite likely that not a person will have a, uh, another diagnosis. It can be, I think it's 40% or a, a paper at least suggested 40% autistic people have uh, anxiety diagnosable anxiety um, I think it's 14% for tick disorder and that's, uh, there's lots and lots of uh, um, comorbidities that can exist um, and then what I think importantly we can talk about uh, non-verbal and how there's this wonderful uh, story or wonderful um, statement I can make about uh, a kid who was non-verbal uh, when he uh, grew up uh, and developed speech, uh, his memory of being nonverbal was that he was communicating, and I find I find that uh, to be amazing because that means that uh, even even when non, even when being nonverbal, there's still this sense of communication anyway. So we get to also look at um, what is what style, what communication style is that and how are you? And obviously we can use the alternative and augmented communication um, techniques and technology that's out there um, to help. But also there's more something more intrinsic with the communication as well with, with uh, these people that uh, that are, are mute or non-verbal. Mm. Um, I think that's quite a quick dash around some autism. <laughs> <laughs> Now, are you familiar with Temple Grandin here in the States? Yes, yes. She has love. He's uh, uh, um, the uh, Oliver Sacks book, uh, uh, Anthropologist on Mars. Uh, have you read? You probably read that, where he spent a long time. He spent uh, several weeks with Temple, and uh, she just gave him so much information. Of course, he's a great neuro, um, neurologist. And she's quite an inspiration to families here in the States, maybe internationally. Mm, definitely internationally, yeah. Um, yeah, I think um, her, her story promotes a lot of positive thinking. You know, she does promote working, as you were speaking earlier, about work. She promotes accessing autistic strengths in order to go towards a, a, a career path that's going to suit, you know, um, and, and, and that's just one element. And the, the, she talks about the different thinking styles, how she thinks like Google Images and other people will, could think in colour or mm -hmm. numbers or, or, or words. Uh, and, um, yeah, so definitely an international autistic star, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you differentiate with Asperger's? or? Um, no, no. It, it, but that's based on the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual version 5 in 2013. It changed and there's now no longer Asperger's uh, syndrome 
the project was about the history of uh, Hans Asperger. Um, Mm. Unfortunately, what he found was his connection to uh, Nazis. So now he 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 feels that uh, the the term Asperger has this really awful bad connotation um, uh, historically. So uh, I think he he wishes to get rid of it, and maybe other people do too. Yes, that's the actually have a conclusion. Yeah, I think that's the feeling here too. When that information came out, Um, so. What would you like to do once you complete your studies? And, of course, we continue studying all our lives. But what do you see in your future with all this wonderful knowledge and ability um, and skills that you have to offer? Um, I, I really enjoy, I'm really enjoying doing the research. So I'd like to keep that element. Um, I was speaking with someone and... Uh, in society, it seems that there's more and more of these flashies, uh, flashies career path or what, however you wish to say it. So you're this thing slash this thing slash this thing. So I'm an imp- improviser or theatre maker in general slash uh, teacher trainer slash uh, researcher. Uh, I I can't stay still really. I have to do lots and lots of things. Um, if I try to do less, I end up. Uh, accidentally put more on my plate anyway. <laughs> um, so I, I, yeah, I enjoy research. Uh, I also wish to keep my theatre work going as well, and I do enjoy teaching. So I, I, I think no matter what, uh, I'm going to be using these skills uh, that I get from doing this, and hopefully I can do more research. But if if, if it happens that I don't, then it, I just push it into other elements of why. Why uh, wish to do anyway? Now, are you? Who are you performing with, or do you have your own group that you run right now? What are you doing in improv? Um, so, um, I have a, a theatre company that's essentially on hold. Uh, but uh, with that, I wish to I wish to put up uh, productions. Uh, currently, I wish to have a full show. I want a Uto show. Um, I don't know in America. You, I don't think you have pools that much. Although I do know some of the uh, pools here have gone over and done shows in America. Um, uh, it, it, it's kind of like court jester. I don't know if that is over there or not. Uh huh. No, I'm not that familiar um, with it. I'm familiar with clowning, uh, certainly. Yeah. Now, do you have a clown name? Um, no, no. This because I want interest in uh, theatrical clowns. They create a theatre production with clowns, um, so. Uh, I'm, I'm interested. I don't have a clown name. I just you you play a show and then you put clowns into it. Uh, one of the well, I, one of the shows I did uh, a couple of years ago in Bristol, I had some I had some clowns and I I did a catch info. Do you know catch info? No. What what is that again? How do you catch? I then you catch a ball catch. Um, and it, it I think it. Uh, I could actually be wrong. I don't, I don't like being historically wrong or, or having inaccurate facts, but I think it came from France. Um, and you have a three-quarter boxing ring, and you have two teams of two improvisers and a referee. It's, it's short form, uh, and you can the referee would uh, set a time, set a category, set a title, um, and all sorts of things. You can uh, look look into it, uh, and it's a wonderful. Uh, production, it's a wonderful format to use. And what I did, I completely uh, wiped the clean 
because uh, I put two clowns in. So it was only two clowns and me as a referee. Uh, and we did a, basically it was improvised clown show uh, using using this um, silly idea of, of catch pro And it wasn't really catch at all. Uh, but I just it was it was wonderful. Uh, I don't think anyone could stop laughing. It's hysterical. Um, <laughs> I just have a wonderful memory of that. Oh, that's terrific. So, uh, do you have any videos of your work? Um, I think uh, recording improv can be quite difficult. Mm -hmm. You need to be in the room to really get yes. it. Um, I, I, am, I am working, well, I say I'm working, it's one of the many, many things that at least is in my head. I, I want to do long form on TV. Uh, I think that would be really cool. Uh, so, I'm, I'm trying to find... Well, I have a, a an idea of how to how to manage that, how to record improv and still make it enjoyable, uh, as enjoyable as in, in the room, hopefully. Um, uh, so the only real footage that's online would be silly little advert bits, or, yes. um, or there'll be unlisted or private shows because you know if you go to a festival, they ask you for videos. So there is footage online, however, it's it's well, I think there's nothing like being in a live show, whether you're on stage or in the audience, because it's the interaction between the audience and the players and that kind of almost mystical experience that happens when it's when the players are together on what they're doing and the audience is really involved. And it doesn't matter if they're laughing or not, but just that they're involved. Yes, yes. We don't just need laughter, we need everything. We need the whole theatrical experience. We want the, the laughter, we want the tears, we want everything. So we can get the audience on the edge of their seat uh, and give them, give them something uh, uh, special, you know. It's that liveness of theatre to the max itself. Yeah. Organic nature, the, the human contact, right. you know, that, we, that we're using and communicating with the audience. But a, a long-form uh, show sounds really, a TV show sounds really interesting. Are you a fan of SCTV? Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I haven't seen a lot of it, unfortunately. Uh, but, yeah, I, I need to see more. But, um, I'm definitely a fan. Um, I'm definitely a fan of um, that era. Well, listen, I am so excited about the work that you're doing and how you're affecting people and affecting change. And I, I, I wonder if you have any closing remarks you might make about your work with autism, maybe things you've learned about yourself? Um, um, yeah. Uh, what have I learned about myself this year? Um, I, think, I think it's good to be... Uh, aware and nuanced. Things aren't things aren't set. I think that's something I've learned. Uh, I need to progress and develop this bigger or wider awareness of of and uh, just in general because you can look we can look at well, I can look at autism uh, and and uh, think X Y and Z. And, but the reality is it's it's not going to be. Uh, clear, it's not going to be uh, very defined because I don't think life or the world is really. We define it ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, it's that improv thing, right? Once it's defined, it, uh, it exists, which is without you. Exactly, yeah. 
Well, you're lovely to meet, and I really hope to see you in person at some point in the future and at conferences or at improv festivals or wherever it may be. So, um, so keep up the lovely work, Nathan. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.